There's a trilogy of movies, uh, profound, masterful, maybe you've seen them, uh, Despicable Me, uh, De Despicable Me 2, and then maybe guess the third one, Despicable Me 3, right? Okay. So in these movies, the main character named Gru is a compulsive master thief. He can't help but steal things, and he's actually really good at it, right? In Despicable Me 3, by the time the story gets to Despicable Me 3, Gru is trying to clean up his life, turning his vices into virtues. But then he discovers why he is so drawn to thievery. He discovers that he is the offspring of a long, long line of thieves dating back centuries. Now, Bear with me, if I can spiritualize that for a moment, <laughs> right? The effects of his sin and even his particular sin tendencies had been passed down to him from previous generations. Now, real world example. My name is Chris Lawson. I am not drawn to thievery. However, I do have a penchant for being impatient, uh, angry, and I can often, I apologize if you have experienced this, I can often make mountains out of molehills. Similar to Gru in Despicable Me 3, I recently learned from my brother's Ancestry.com research that I haven't fallen too far from my family tree. My great-great-grandfather, Roy Moorhead, had anger issues so much so, hopefully this, this isn't a preview of my own life, but he was imprisoned for murder twice, and then he, he committed suicide. This is getting really grim. I should have rethought this illustration. My point, uh, my great then, you know, grandmother, you know, he, Roy Moorhead passes away in, in prison, and she remarries a man named James Lawson, hence my last name. My great-grandfather was adopted by James Lawson, and that's why I am a Lawson. The reason why I tell you that story isn't to do some sort of commercial or pitch for Ancestry.com. It's, it's to illustrate one of the applications that we might take away from our passage this morning. Genesis chapter 10. The effects of sin and even particular sin tendencies, in my case, anger, they tend to be observed and adopted and passed down over time from generation to generation. We could just keep reading the book of Genesis and we would see the same happens with Abraham to Isaac and so on and so forth. Remember last week, uh, Pastor Seth really wonderfully unpacked Genesis chapter nine for us. And remember with me, at the end of Genesis chapter nine, Noah's son, Ham, he disgraced Noah, his father, he mocked his nakedness as, Lo, uh, as Noah lay drunk in his tent. There's all sorts of complications. The flood is barely, the flood waters are barely gone and there's already sin and complication. Now when Noah, remember from last week, when he became aware of Ham's actions, he pronounced a punishment. He pronounced a curse on Ham's descendants, particularly Canaan. Now that might seem like misplaced punishment, but think about it this way. 
Noah and his family are fresh off the boat. There is no one else on earth. There's really nothing else to do. So Noah's punishment toward Ham would be one of future impact as the story develops. One of the, one of the things that we'll see here in just a moment as I read Genesis chapter 10 is that Ham's descendants end up including peoples and cities and nations that act a lot like him in corruption and enmity toward God and God's people. The Egyptians descend from Ham. Later in the biblical story, the Egyptians mock and disdain and enslave God's people, the Israelites. The Canaanites descend from Ham. Later in the biblical story, they mock and disdain and battle against God and God's people. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and Babylon and Nineveh, descendants of Ham, corrupt, enemies of God, who in those cities and countries, they revel in nakedness and vainglory. Later on in the biblical story, similar to their great-great-grandpa Ham. Now here's my point, similar to the way I have inherited anger and anger tendencies, right? Ham's particular sin tendencies really kind of end up being passed down to his descendants and the same could be said of all of us, each of us in one way or another. Look, we all carry some generational tendencies in the ways we think and feel and act. Many of us in fact echo our forefathers and in doing so right now we are influencing our kids and future generations. I mean, think about it, right? Like one of the things that I often hear, like, oh, you know, I, I'm gifted in music. My, my whole, my family is just a musical family, right? This, that, that's wonderful. The same can sometimes be said of our vices, of our sin tendencies. We watch, we observe, we adopt ways of thinking, speaking, and acting that aren't good. And so we'll explore, hopefully, God, God willing, you know, what we can do about this. There's hope for us. And there are many other things we might observe in chapter 10, but I gotta stop beating around the bush and just read it, right? You can probably tell here in just a moment when I do start to read it, why I'm delaying it because of all the names that I have to pronounce. So, Father, this is your word and even extended genealogies such as the one we're about to read, Lord, they are profitable to us for teaching, reproof, correction and for training in righteousness. So we ask you now, as we read your word, we ask and trust that you will bless the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 10. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Medai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tyrus, the sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Tagarma, the sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. From these, the coastland peoples spread in their lands, each with his own language by their clans in their nations. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Reamah, and Sabtika, the sons of Reamah, Sheba, and Dedan. 
Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Achad, and Kalna, and in the land of Shinar. From the land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth-ir, Kela, and reason between Nineveh and Kela, that is the great city. Egypt fathered Ludim, Anamim, Leabim, Naphtahim, Pathrusim, Kaslahim, from whom the Philistines came, and Kaphtarim. Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Orkites, the Sinites, the Arvidites, the Zemarites, and the Hamathites. Afterward, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed, and the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar and as far as Geza, and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim, as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. To Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth, children were born. The sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, Arpashit, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hu, Gether, and Mash. Arpashid fathered Shelah, and Shelah fathered Eber. To Eber were born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg, for his days for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Jachtan. Jachtan fathered Almadad, Shelef, Hazameveth, Jira, Hadram, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Ibimael, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were the sons of Jachtan. The territory in which they live extended from Misha in the direction of Sephar to the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies, in their nations, and from these the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So an expository sermon is a sermon that exposes the point of a passage of scripture. Please pray for me. Uh, here's my stab at an overarching summary of what we've just read. From one man, Noah, comes every tribe, tongue, and nation of the world, and to one creator God, every tribe, tongue, and nation will give an account. So for the remainder of our time, I'm going to break that down into three observations. If you're a note taker, here is my outline. Number one, one origin. Number two, one originator. And number three, kind of at the end, not a major point, but an application point, one obligation. One origin, one originator, one obligation. Let's start with number one, one origin. 
The ancient Israelites, we know, were the first people to hear and to read Genesis chapter 10, and they would have noticed in their hearing and reading of this, 70 people, cities, and nations in this genealogy. Now remember with me, the number seven indicates a fullness and completion. And in this genealogy, there are 10 sevens accounting for fullness and completion. Look, every tribe, tongue, and nation is represented here at the dawn of world history in Genesis chapter 10. Now look with me at the names of these people and these people groups, starting actually in verses 21 through 31. We see Shem's descendants, that they would progress to include the Israelites and Mesopotamians and Assyrians and probably the Chaldeans and Syrians and peoples of Asia Minor. Now the reason chapter 10 ends with Shem's descendants is because Shem's descendants are gonna play a very significant role in chapter 11 as well as the rest of the book of Genesis. Abram comes from the line of Shem Chapter 10 of our passage in verses 6 through 20, the largest segment of our passage, shows us Ham's descendants, which would develop to include the Canaanites, the Arabians, Africans, Egyptians, and very likely Oriental nations. In verses 2 through 5, we see Japheth's descendants. This is interesting. They would develop to include peoples to the north and the west of Israel, such as India and Europe. Now listen to this. Very interesting. After a comparative linguistic study was conducted in the 19th century, experts, linguistic experts, have determined that Indian and European languages stem from a common ancestor. (laughs) Really kind of corroborating what we just read here. So for those of us who are of Indian descent or most of us in this room of European descent, that's most of us, we can trace our origins back to Japheth. Every person, every people group on the earth descended from either Shem, Ham, or Japheth. And then if we rewind one generation previous, we all came from Noah. Two things. One, that's really cool and terrifying, right? Sister, brother. Sister from a different mister and brother from another mother, right? (laughs) I almost thought that would be a good sermon title. (laughs) Marvel at this with me. Marvel at this with me for a second. The Chinese philosopher Confucius, the Egyptian ruler Cleopatra, the Mongolian leader Genghis Khan, the Italian artist Leonardo da Vinci, the Indian influencer Mahatma Gandhi, the German dictator Adolf Hitler, the South African revolutionary Nelson Mandela, the British Queen Elizabeth, and the United States President Joe Biden, what do all of these have in common with one another and with us? Great, 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 great grandfather Noah. One common origin unites us. Now, application. 
it pains me to see people lined up downtown Worcester holding signs that say racism is wrong. It is wrong. Duh. It is wrong. How can one human being, one tiny little human being, think and speak and act as if another human being descended from Noah is somehow beneath them because of the tone of their skin or language or customs? It's really kind of absurd. Picture with me, cheesy, uh, a seahorse. <laughs> what a unique, beautiful, special, wonderful, and intriguing sea creature is the seahorse. According to Smithsonian Ocean, there are 47 different types of species of seahorses. Now, imagine with me one seahorse in all of its unique wonder and splendor, imagine one seahorse despising another seahorse in all of its unique wonder and splendor because that seahorse doesn't have the exact same pattern of colors. If I were to speak to a seahorse, I would say something like this, sweet mercy, you are both seahorses. You are both Wonderful in the vast array of the deep blue ocean. Do you have any idea how unique you are? How awesome you are. You are both seahorses. So I'll stop with the seahorses now. And please grasp my point. And I am not about to touch the kryptonite that is the critical race theory, racism, Ah, black box that America is in right now. I'm just gonna say what I believe I see here in this scripture. Please grasp my point. On this earth are men, women, and children who have been fearfully and wonderfully brought forth by God himself as descendants of Noah, whose veins are flowing with the blood of life, whose lungs are filled with the breath of life, who have hearts, minds, souls, fingers, feelings, longings, and hopes. Yet, because of their skin, or language, or clothes, or culture? Am I going to think and speak and act as if they are inferior to me? God forbid. And maybe some of us can relate with Despicable Me's Gru and observing in prior generations of our own family and hearing comments, seeing ways of acting toward members of other races that have unfortunately influenced us. God, lead us to repentance and love for our fellow human beings. Number two, one originator. We need to see that this genealogy, we need to see that the formation of these cities and nations that are listed is the outcome of God's blessed command to Noah and his sons. Back in chapter nine, verses one and seven, be fruitful and multiply and increase on the earth. This genealogy is here, 
really in obedience to God's decree that the earth would be repopulated. We need to see, once again, what God commanded to happen, be fruitful and multiply, is happening right here. And these names and cities and nations descended from Noah came into being in order to, this is the pinnacle of why these people exist, why you and I exist, we came into being in order to bear the image of our one originator, God, and to give an account to him, a triune, holy, worthy, wonderful, and sovereign God over all peoples at all times. Now here's where I'm going with this. I'm gonna snag a tissue at the bottom here. Thank you, Liz, Rosha, for putting these in here. Uh, look with me at verses eight through 10. Look to the son of Cush here. The son of Ham says he's born a mighty man named Nimrod. Now from these verses, he kind of sounds an awful lot like the Nephilim from chapter six. He is also credited with founding the kingdom of Babel, which becomes the epicenter, by the time of next chapter, becomes the epicenter of mankind's corruption and vainglory. Now, here's where... This chapter was difficult on me a bit this week. Let me insert a commercial here. So hold Nimrod over here, right? Let me insert a brief commercial. The reason we are told the boundaries of the kingdom of Babel in verses 10 through 12 is because from there, next chapter, God is gonna confuse and disperse sinful mankind. That's why we're told the boundaries right here in this chapter. Now, one more commercial. The reason we're told the boundaries of the Canaanites in verse 19 is because that is the territory that God would give to the Israelites later in the biblical story. Remember, the Israelites are the descendants of Shem. So the fact that the Canaanites would be later uprooted by the Israelites, it really showcases the veracity of Noah's words in 9.26 when he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. I don't have the capacity to, to dive deeply here. So commercial over, now back to Nimrod, the founder of Babel, verses eight through 10. He's not a good guy. One commentator writes this, like the Nephilim, Nimrod is mighty in his own exploits, but not mighty in godliness. It seems he takes after Grandpa Ham, he is not a righteous man. And yet, twice in verses eight and nine, we read this. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. If you jump across different translations, the New American Standard, the NIV, the NLT, the CSB, the CNN, the N no, I'm just kidding. I mean, <laughs> that part I'm kidding. If you jump across, the, the, that, that word right there, the Hebrew word for before, has a variety of meanings, and we're not entirely sure how to pinpoint it. It could be this. It could be that Nimrod was a mighty hunter in the sight of the Lord under his watchful eye, but it could also mean, and most scholars tend toward this, this interpretation. It could also be that Nimrod was a mighty hunter in the face of the Lord, like in opposition. Here's the point. 
Here's the point about the one originator. Even including Nimrod and all these other names of cities and people and peoples, anything and everything that is thought, said, and done by anyone and everyone in God's creation is done under his watchful eye. He sees, he knows, he is omnipresent. So, application question. Let's go for the low-hanging fruit. Are you a skilled hunter? <laughs> right? Are you a skilled, skilled hunter? God knows it because he sees it and he knows everything about you. Are you a, a good cook? Are you knowledgeable with finances? Are you smart or athletic or artistic? Or are you one of those jerks who are all three, smart and athletic and artistic? Uh, if so, get out. We're <laughs> no matter who you are, no matter what you do, no matter how you do it, no matter whom you do it for, one originator, you were created by God you are granted stewardship of everything you have and what you do and what you think, what you do with the days that have been given you is being watched and accounted for by your heavenly originator. And so here is the plea, don't be like Nimrod or don't be a Nimrod, right? That, that word has become one of those words. Don't be like Nimrod who no doubt he heard his grandpa Ham's stories about the flood that God washed the earth of unrighteousness. And yet, even despite hearing the stories of the flood, Nimrod seemed to just go about his life pursuing his own exploits with no reverent fear nor obedience to God. We have one originator like these people and these people groups all through Genesis chapter 10 you and I have but one collective origin one collective originator and some subsequently let's go into our number three our obligation our collective obligation as we can see I mentioned it earlier, the largest segment here in Genesis chapter 10 is devoted to Ham's descendants. Now what we don't see happening in this passage is Ham recognizing and confessing and forsaking his sin to Noah and to God. What we do see is that Ham's descendants are marked with a corruption that is very similar to his, to Ham's. The Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Canaanites, the Ninevites, Philistines, Sodom and Gomorrah, kind of like, grew from Despicable Me 3, looking back and seeing this long line of vices and vainglory. Now here's how we might conclude look our spouses if you're married your spouse our, our kids our neighbors and our co-workers the people who observe us and the people uh, who are in our sphere of influence what do they see when they see you 
as often as they are around you, what do they see you celebrating and cherishing and practicing? Are you perpetuating generational vices or by the powerful blood of Christ are you putting them to death and walking in victory and righteousness do your kids let's take kids for a moment do your kids see you with itching ears salivating for the news and for the gossip and other people's business who is no concern to you? Do your relatives see you as one who you will absolutely under no circumstance miss the game, but you will miss gathering with the saints and probably barely even made it one day this week of being in God's word, but you will not miss that game come hell or high water. What is that preaching Sorry, I'm just going to do this. I'm not getting emotional, I'm just getting allergenic apparently, so. <laughs> do your coworkers see you cutting corners and making excuses? And it's really inconvenient to deal with this client, so I'm just gonna, and I'm gonna fudge these numbers a little bit, and I just, you know what, it's fine. It's, what, what kind of sermon is that preaching, man? Does your spouse see you like, like my wife so often sees me, quick-tempered? Making mountains out of molehills. Do your kids see you rooting for others to fall behind? Is there a covetousness? Is there a competitiveness and an unhappiness when others are doing well? In my community group this past Wednesday, Jessie Matthews, who's back there, I'm gonna quote her, she said, it's easy to shrug off the things like this that we think are only affecting us, right? When I'm asking, you know, somebody's in my house, this is a theoretical, but I'm sure it's happened because I'm a sinner. Somebody's in my house talking about, oh, you know, so-and-so, they got in, you know, they're having this thing, and ooh, what, what was the name? What are the details? What, what, what is, what's some of the, what, what, what share? I mean, are my kids seeing that? My hunger for this sort of, it's none of my business. Shut up, Chris. And bringing in the generational component, dad, I'm not gonna throw you under the bus, but I kind of am. I mean, we're all, in, we're all influenced, right? We're all watching our parents and our uncles and aunts and grandparents, and then, and then we're doing the exact same thing, right? in front of our own kids. You know, Pastor Seth mentioned last week, the, are my kids seeing me on my phone? Yeah, even if scripture is on my phone, what they are seeing, they, I, am, I am on my phone all the time. I'm sorry. And what is that setting you up for? What kind of, what is that showcasing about what I am reliant upon and where I get my joy? 
What are my habits and emotions and reactions? What are those things preaching to my kids and my wife and my neighbors and my co-workers? Am I given to the same vices that I observed and adopted from previous generations like my great-great-grandfather's anger, his short-fusedness? I mean, surely I watched a little bit of that, but now my kids are watching it almost every week. As the, you know, as 2022 approaches, I'm almost done, by the way. But as a new year approaches, Lord willing, I mean, if Jesus comes back, that'd be wonderful. (sighs) Please come, Lord. Um, But if we are given 2022, you know, maybe one exercise we can be doing in preparation, right? Taking a moment, maybe each day, or maybe a section of time this week over a cup of coffee or some tea, and asking ourselves prayerfully, Lord, or asking the Lord (laughs) with ourselves in view, what are some of my family vices, generational vices, things that I've picked up on over the years that I, you know, are now emerging in my life and I'm now influencing the next generation. What addictions, Lord, what imbalanced emotions, what distractions are my kids growing up seeing me constantly overwhelmed by? How might those things be manifesting in my life and and how are my spouse and kids and coworkers and neighbors uh, being affected by what they see? And, and then bringing to mind the fact that Ham's descendants right here, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I'm going um, to read something. It's from God's word, so it's not, it's not me. I was so ministered to this this week. Ezekiel 18. I don't know where to start, so I'm just gonna start here. If a man is righteous and does what is just and right, if he does not eat, up, eat on the, upon the mountains or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, does not defile his neighbor's wife or approach a woman in her time of menstrual impurity, does not oppress anyone but restores to the debtor his pledge, commits no robbery, gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with a garment, ham, does not lend at interest or take any profit, withholds his hand from injustice, executes true justice between man and man, walks in my statutes and keeps my rules by acting faithfully, he's righteous, he shall surely live, declares the Lord God. If he fathers a son who is violent, a shedder of blood, who does any of these things, though he himself did not do these things, the son eats upon the mountains, defiles his neighbor's wife, oppresses the poor and needy, commits robbery, does not restore the pledge, lifts up his eyes to the idols, commits abomination, lends at interest and takes profit, shall he live? He shall not live. He has done all these abominations, he he shall die. His blood shall be upon himself. Now suppose... This man fathers a son who sees all the sins that his father has done. He sees and does not do likewise. He does not eat upon the mountains or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel. He doesn't defile his neighbor's wife, nor does he oppress anyone or exact a pledge. 
He doesn't commit robbery. He gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with a garment. He withholds his hand from iniquity. He takes no interest or profits. He obeys God's rules and walks in my statues. He shall not die for his father's iniquity. He shall surely live. As for his father, because he practiced extortion, robbed his brother, and did what was not good among his people, behold, he shall die for his iniquity. Here's where I'm going with that and the reason why I'm, I am well off my manuscript. This is all, all right, Holy Spirit, here we go. Um, is this not an encouraging word from the prophet Ezekiel that now fast forward, New Covenant, Old, you know, New Testament, how much more, like if this was the promise to, to fathers and sons of straying away, veering away from the sins of our fathers and forefathers, if this was the promise that, think about now, Christ has shed his blood and has sent to this earth the Holy Spirit to inhabit and to indwell his people that we might no longer walk in the curse of sin. Jesus became a curse on the cross for me and for you, and by his blood, we should be healed and empowered to walk in victory and repentance, forsaking the sins that have influenced us over the generations and creating now a new Start for essentially our children and the generations who are watching us right now. What legacy are we leaving behind? I don't want to leave behind a ham legacy. I want to leave behind someone who said, all right, Lord, I am an absolute idiot. Please bring to mind and heart all of my iniquity. Forgive me, purge me, and help me to walk in obedience in the righteousness of Christ so that everyone around me may see and this generation may experience a bit of some you know, healing, right? Sweet mercy, I went way over. Let's pray, and then we'll sing uh, the song Jesus about the king of all creation who set aside his crown to, to serve, descend from his throne, to die on the cross. Father, we ah, thank you for your word, even the mysterious portions such as Genesis chapter 10. We thank you for it. And ask God that in some way, shape, or form, you might mercifully use whatever I've said, but that you would, God, use your word and that you would plant it deep within us, convict us, cleanse us, lead us to walk in the righteousness that Christ secured in his life, death, and resurrection. May we walk under and through the power of the blood in the power of the Holy Spirit to put to death sin and shortcoming and vices that we might taste the joy and the abundant life that Christ has died to give us and that our kids and neighbors and coworkers and relatives would witness it, that they would praise you and that they too would taste. In Jesus' name we pray this, amen.